So, uh, let, me, let me start uh, with this uh, illustration, okay? So, on de- December the 7th, uh, I got an email in my church email account that uh, the reference line said, Wedding Officiant Needed. And so, uh, periodically at uh, church, you know, we'll get calls, emails, messages through the website or whatever, somebody wanting to use the, the church building or wanting to, uh, you know, find a pastor to, to marry them, that kind of thing. And uh, occasionally, you know, we'll meet with them, talk to them. You know, we always try to be courteous and respond. Uh, so I opened uh, the, the, the email and it wasn't exactly what I was expecting. I was just expecting it to be some random local person who uh, didn't go to church that, you know, wanted to have a pastor do their wedding. But here's what it said. I'll leave out the name of the bride, but it said, True Life Church. It's Emily Greer from Fash.com. And I have a new customer, it says her name, who needs a good wedding efficient pro near White Pine. So I thought you'd be interested in this referral. View the customer, uh, customer's details to see if you're interested, and then contact bride's name directly. Now, um, I, I looked it up because I'd never heard of this before. Didn't know that there was, you know, like such a service or business that was providing this service of finding wedding, wedding officiants for uh, uh, people. So um, what did I do with it? I did nothing with it. Why did I do nothing with it? Well, because, here, here's really why. Because as, as a pastor, people get mad at me sometimes. It, um, you shocked by that? Yeah. Um, it, it really, uh, one of the things I believe about pastoring is if people don't get mad at you sometimes, you're really probably not doing what you ought to be doing because people who are rebelling against the Lord are going to get mad uh, about the truth and, you know, sometimes you want to shoot the messenger, right? And so that's just uh, part of, of the job description for any of you who feel called to ministry. But here's the reality. I kind of expect that to happen sometimes, but I usually don't sign up for it. Now, if I had responded to this, I would be signing up for somebody getting mad at me. All right? So, because here's the deal. I've done this before. Like I said, occasionally, uh, you know, when someone contacts us like this, we'll agree to a meeting with them. You know, for our married people, uh, and usually, you know, Lori does premarital counseling now, but, uh, you know, I'll have an initial meeting with them, and there's a series of questions we go through, and there's some things that, you know, I talk to them about with marriage and, and that kind of thing. You know, I remember one time doing that with a couple who called, and uh, they got mad at me because I shared the gospel with them. And they said they were Christians. Now, usually, I don't know, Christians getting mad about the gospel, I don't know exactly quite how that fits together. But um, uh, anyway, so I know if I meet with this couple, they're looking for a wedding officiant pro, apparently. Well, they're going to be pretty disappointed when they meet me. And so that's not, they got one agenda. My agenda is, uh, you know, to share the gospel with them, to talk to them about marriage, to kind of find out where they are, what's going on in, 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 in their lives. Are they ready for this? How are they thinking about this? Do they have a biblical view of marriage? So on and so forth. And so there's going to be a clash of agendas there. And uh, they're going to get mad 
mad in all likelihood. Now, you know, it could be different, but the odds are they're going to get mad. So I don't want to waste their time, and I don't want to sign up for somebody else to be mad at me. So I didn't follow up with it. You say, uh, what does this have to do with what we're going to talk about in marriage today? Well, here's the deal. I have zero interest in being a wedding officiant. I have a whole ton of interest in Christian marriage. And see, here's what I want you to get. Last week in what we talked about was kind of like marriage 101. Today we're like moving into PhD level marriage. What God really wants it to be. Because here's the thing about marriage. Marriage, you know, what we talked about last week where there's a man and a woman, there's a leaving, there's a joining, there's a consummating. That's marriage under common grace. And that's for anybody, any man or woman who, you know, follow that pattern, do it legally. Um, you know, they're married in God's sight. But God wants more than that. For Christians, when it comes to marriage, there is such a thing as Christian marriage. Now, Christian marriage, though, may not be what you think it is. You see, what we're going to see in, in, in this passage today is that the ultimate purpose of marriage, hopefully we've already seen this, is to be a picture of the relationship between Christ and His church. And so what that means is a Christian marriage is not just a union between two people, but it's a union between two people who are in union with Jesus, and so Jesus is a part of that marriage. You see, I think a lot of times when people talk about Christian marriage, what they end up talking about is they talk about, quote, Christian values. Like our family goes to church. Our family votes a certain way. Our family believes a certain way. There's certain things we do. There's certain things we don't do. We eat at Chick-fil-A, you know, and have the, have the Christian chicken, you know. And there's certain ways we dress, and uh, we don't watch certain stuff, and, and so on and so forth. And some of that could be a byproduct of, of this kind of thing. But that is not what Christian marriage is. That could actually even be just more religious legalism than anything else because what Christianity is at its heart is the gospel. And so what that would mean then is that Christian marriage at its heart is, the go is a gospel marriage. And, and that's what I want to try to honestly pound into our heads today uh, in our hearts that we would live that way. At True Life, we believe everything, our salvation, our sanctification, everything is about the gospel, including our marriages. Now, before we look at this passage, let's, let's look at, at a few other verses of Scripture because we need to make sure we understand what the gospel is. And, and the gospel is defined for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, starting in verse 1. Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, and gospel means good news, which you also received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and according to the Scriptures means as a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, and that he was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So, 
when we talk about the gospel, the gospel is the good news that even though we're sinners, God still loves us. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and died for us as the substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. That he rose from the dead in order to give us new life. And that if we trust him alone, because salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that if we trust him alone, that we are saved from our sins, we are forgiven, we're made right with God, we're given eternal life. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the gospel. And so someone who is then trusting in Jesus Christ, uh, who then marries another person who is genuinely trusting in Christ, uh, is in a Christian marriage then because both of those people are in Christ, in union with him, so he is then at the center of their union. That's what we're talking about when we talk about Christian marriage. So the first thing I think that we have to establish today is are you genuinely trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? Do you believe the gospel? Have you admitted that you're a sinner? Have you despaired of your self-righteousness and self-effort? And do you realize there is nothing you can do to make yourself right with God, but at the same time that Jesus did it all and you're trusting in Him and His accomplishment on the cross, His death, burial, and resurrection for your salvation? And if not, that is the issue for you today in this, mar- in this message. You don't need to worry about marriage. You need to repent, place your faith in Christ, get right with Him, and then the marriage stuff can flow out of that. So if you don't know Christ, talk to me. Talk to somebody about that. If you've got questions or, you know, if, if you know this in your head, but you're not relying on Him alone, make that decision right now. Repent, turn to Him, surrender to Him. Now, let's talk about how marriage then works its way out in that. So let's go to our text in Ephesians chapter 5 that you know, we're walking through in this series. And I want to read it and kind of just work this analogy out for us in general and then make a couple of specific points uh, to us, and I'll develop one of them. Really, probably Missy should come up here and read this. She should probably always read Scripture at True Life. That, that's like her gift, but uh, uh, you, you put up with me, I guess. So it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. So notice the analogy here. Christ is the head of the church. He's the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let, Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And so, and we'll develop this more later on, but to understand this passage, you have to understand that in marriage, the husband is to be a picture of Christ. The wife is to be a picture of the bride of Christ, the church. You can't understand this passage. You can't understand Christian marriage without understanding that. And like I said, what's going to come in this series will flow out of that. So we'll develop that a little bit more later, being a little bit more general, just about the gospel and the marriage today. Then notice what he says to husbands. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So Jesus loves the church with the perfect love, loves the church so much that he um, sacrificed himself. He gave his life. He gave himself fully for the church. 
And, you know, I, I know sometimes, we need to get this. I know sometimes, you know, we, we talk about Jesus dying for us as individuals, and that's, that's true in, in a sense. You know, sometimes people say, if you'd have been the only person uh, who had ever, ever, you know, lived, Jesus would have died for you. I don't know if I would say it exactly that way or not, but I, I understand the point. But here's something we need to understand. Scripture says here, Jesus gave himself for the church. All the redeemed of all the ages brought together in the body of Christ, in the family of God, through the blood of Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm talking to the people watching online a little bit more than I, who are, you know, aren't watching online because they're sick. And maybe I, than I am to the people in the room, but maybe I'm talking to some people in the room who are sporadic in their church attendance and that kind of thing. Don't think, you know, Christianity is just Jesus and me. Christianity is Jesus and us. I mean, if you don't look at it that way, there's a whole lot of pages you better rip out of your New Testament. And this is just one example of it. But why did, why did he do that? That he might sanctify and cleanse her, the church, with the washing of water by the word. But then in the analogy that we'll, you know, you're going to really develop in detail, that means we husbands are to uh, sanctify and cleanse our wives with the washing of the water by the word. That's part of our job then as a reflection of Christ. That he might present her to himself. Notice this, a glorious church. The ultimate purpose of all this is the glory of God, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. What we looked at last week then, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. He's talking about this one flesh principle. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. So here's, here's what he's saying. Individually, if we're a Christian, we're in Christ. We're like um, the branch connected to the vine. We're in Christ. He's in us. Uh, same thing with the church collectively. And then God created marriage to be a reflection of that, that just as we're uh, one with Jesus, in union with Jesus as believers, as a husband and wife, we're to be one with each other and one together in Christ. That's what we're talking about when we talk about Christian marriage. So not Christian values at the center of this, but Jesus at the center of this. That's how you have a Christian uh, marriage. So, just want to make two points to you, and, and, and I'll kind of develop the second one with just some ideas of how we work it out in, in real life. But here's the first thing I want to say to you. Christian marriage is a reflection of the gospel. That's what this is saying. That's the point of verses 31 and 32, that Christian marriage is a reflection of the gospel. John Piper put it this way, marriage is patterned after Christ's covenant relationship to his redeemed people, the church. And therefore, the highest meaning and the most ultimate purpose of marriage is to put the covenant relationship of Christ and his church on display. So let me ask us a question, married couples. Is that being displayed to a watching world in our marriages? I mean, this is the analogy. This is the point of the entire passage culminating in the truth that marriage is a picture of the union between Christ and his church. 
This means that like everything else, the purpose of marriage, because the purpose of salvation is the glory of God, the purpose of marriage is the glory of God. That's why he talks about a glorious church here. Remember what we learned earlier in Ephesians? Uh, The ultimate purpose of salvation is the glory of God, so the only possible means of salvation is the grace of God. If if this passage, uh, marriage, is to be a reflection of the gospel, that means the ultimate purpose of your marriage is the glory of God. And so the only possible means to that is the grace of God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? So is God being glorified in our marriages? Um, Is our marriage grounded in what Jesus has done for us? Are we living it under the lordship of Christ? You know, Have we made a decision in our lives that the ultimate purpose of our life together is going to be the glory of God? Listen, Robin and I made that decision that when we were dating, I don't know if we thought exactly in terms of the glory of God, but we made the decision that, you know, as we were getting married, that the purpose of our life was going to be to try to do the will of God, to live for Him. Does that get challenged? Absolutely. It gets challenged a lot. It gets gets challenged especially in seasons of trial. But, But here's the thing. I mean, if you say you're a Christian, if you say I believe the gospel and this is what I'm trusting in, doesn't that have to spill over into our marriage? I mean, how can we separate the two? It's easy to say, I prayed a prayer, I'm going to heaven. But what are our lives like day in and day out? What are our marriages like day in and day out? And I would just, I would remind you and encourage you, if you're having problems in your marriage right now, there's a lot of good reasons to do everything you can to fix those problems. But can I tell you that the ultimate reason is because the glory of God is at stake. Because the reality is, we're either going to display uh, the glory of God or obscure the glory of God to the people around us. We're either going to display the gospel of Jesus Christ to people around us, or we're going to obscure the gospel of Jesus Christ to those around us. It's more than about us. If we say we're a Christian, if we say we're a Christian, it's not really about us at all. It's about Jesus. Christian marriage is designed to be a reflection of, of the gospel. Let me illustrate it to you this way. This is a quote uh, from a book by, by, by a man by the name of Christopher Ashe, a book about marriage. And uh, I think this is uh, uh, you know, a great way to help us to get this. It kind of pulled it together uh, for me. He says, some years ago, a dispute arose in Britain between uh, the foreign office and the treasury. The argument was about which British ambassadors would be provided with a Rolls-Royce for their official duties in a foreign capital. Uh, The the Treasury, right Angela, unsurprisingly wanted these wonderful cars to be restricted to a few, right? Because it's the job of the Treasurer to make sure you spend as little money as, as possible. That's just how it's supposed to work. Uh, you know, perhaps like Washington, Moscow, Paris. The Foreign Office, however, argued for many more based on the following reasoning. They said most people in a foreign capital have never been to Britain. 
So when they see this magnificent car gliding through their streets with the United Kingdom flag on the hood, they will say to themselves, I've not been to Britain. I don't know much about Britain. But if they make cars like that there, then Britain must be a wonderful place. In a similar way, it is Christ's hope, it's his plan that men and women may say to themselves as they watch a Christian marriage, I've never seen God. Sometimes I wonder when I look at the world if God is good or if there is a God. But if he can make a man and a woman love one another like this, if he can make this husband show costly faithfulness through sickness as well as health, if he can give him resources to love his wife with a Christ-like sacrifice, well then, he must be a good God. And if Christ can give this wife grace to to submit so beautifully with such an attractive spirit, then again, he must be a good God. That's the purpose of marriage. To reflect, to display the gospel. What do people see in us? Is the glory of God on display? Is the gospel of Jesus Christ being revealed? Or is it being obscured? I believe sometimes, maybe a lot of the time, this is part of the reason why as Christians we go through trials. Because when it's all easy, you know, maybe anybody can do it. But do people see a difference in us when we're going through a hard time? Sometimes the glory of God can shine most brightly when life is most difficult. But then number two, I want us to see that Christian marriage is empowered by the gospel. Meaning, if, if we're going to live this out, if we're going uh, you know, to display this, if, if, if we're going to be a reflection of the gospel, of the glory of God, it's Christ in us that is going to enable us to do this. Now, I'm not saying there's no effort involved. I'm just saying that um, it's not, this is the goal, and then go do your best. Anything God calls us to, he equips us to. Through the gospel, through the power of his spirit within us, he gives us the power. You say, well, why is it so hard then? Well, here's why it's so hard. We don't live in a Genesis 1 world. We don't live in a Genesis 2 world. We live in a Genesis 3 world. And that means this is one of the foundational things we have to understand about marriage. I mean, this, this is something that I can say with absolute 100% certainty about every couple that I've done premarital counseling with, every marriage ceremony uh, that, that, that I've done. I mean, you can say all the flowery things that you want in a marriage ceremony, and we should, but uh, something that is absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, true is that every marriage that has ever been uh, undertaken in the history of the world is a union between Two sinners. That's why it's hard. Right? I mean, and I know, you know, we tend to think we're perfect and our spouse is the problem, but it is definitely a two-way street. Right? Um, You know, I I know men tend to think women are weird. If they just think like us, everything would be okay, right? Women tend to think men are weird. If he just think like us, then everything would be okay. But where every marriage is a union of two sinners. And so here's what I want you to think about. There's a point to this. 
I don't have a lot of time to go into this. But when you read Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, when, when they fell, one of the things that just leaps out at you in that text is that not only was their relationship with God broken, but they became broken people within themselves and their relationship with each other was broken. You see, here's the thing. When two people get married, I mean, the, the, the degrees of brokenness may vary, but it's two broken people getting married because brokenness is always the result of sin. And so think about what you see going on that they're dealing with in Genesis 3. They're dealing with guilt. They're dealing with shame. They're dealing with religious self-effort. They're dealing with hiding. They're dealing with fear. They're dealing with insecurity. They're dealing with playing the blame game. They're dealing with making excuses. And ultimately, they are now cursed and under the judgment of God. And so here's, here's what we tend to do when it, when it, as people when it comes to marriage. As sinners, we're dealing with these kind of things. We have fears, we have insecurities, we make excuses, there's shame, there's guilt in our lives. We don't feel whole. There's somebody that comes along. We're attracted to that person. Pheromones and hormones and emotions and the whole thing kicks in. In the early stage of a relationship, we tend to, I mean, psychologists will tell you this, a couple of years, you're kind of, you can be blinded by infatuation. Which means reason goes out uh, the window uh, to a certain degree if we're not really uh, careful. But, but what we think here is just the perfect person or at least the right person. And, and, th- and this person has what I need and they're going to fix me and they're going to complete me. But can I just tell you, two broken people have never fixed each other. And so what we do is we look to uh, this person that we're dating, this person that we're marrying, our spouse, as our functional savior. But a functional savior outside of Jesus is always an idol. And here's what we find. This person hasn't completed me and hasn't fulfilled me. And and now uh, you get a few months, a few years into marriage, what you find out is instead of them fulfilling me and completing me, now I don't know, I don't only have to deal with my guilt and shame and fear and insecurity, I got to deal with their guilt and shame and fear and insecurity and them blaming me for stuff and them making excuses uh, about things. And what Martin Luther said is so true, what we idolize, we eventually demonize. And that, in a nutshell, listen to me, that in a nutshell, and if you didn't get that, go back and listen to it later, because that, in two or three minutes, or whatever it was, is a spiritual, biblical explanation for the root cause of marital problems. We focus on the fruit stuff, this is the real issue. And so what that means is the only one who can save us from ourselves and the only one who can save us in our relationship with another is Jesus Christ. He's the bread of life. He's the living water. Anything or anyone else is going to lead us empty and not solve our leave us empty and not solve our problems but add to our problems. 
So the only way to live out marriage in the way that God has designed it is through Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected, living in us and through us, living in union with him individually and together as a couple. And the reality is, is if Christ is at the center of our marriage, if he's the Lord of our marriage, the Lord of our lives, if we're living out of this union with him, some things are going to change. Right? And I want to just give you four very practical changes that will come or that you will be experiencing if you're truly living out the gospel in marriage. Okay? Four changes. Number one, we forgive because we have been forgiven. We forgive because we have been forgiven. You want to know uh, just practically how much you believe the gospel? How easy are you to forgive? Or how much do you hold grudges? And this is in marriage or it's in life in general. We forgive because we've been forgiven. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, the key to marriage is simply reenacting the gospel to each other. You can talk about communication skills or other stuff, and they're all good. But basically, knowing how to forgive and knowing how to repent, if you both can forgive and repent, it doesn't matter how different you are, you'll be okay. J.D. Greer's right when he says, and, and, and this factors into all this, one of the things we have to remember when it comes to forgiveness is we're first sinners and only secondly, sinned against. The more we remember that, the less we'll play the blame game with our spouse, and the more that we'll, we'll look in the mirror and own our own stuff, because the reality is, it is almost never 100-0 in marriage. I mean, I don't care what you did, what your spouse did, you probably did something too. I mean, you live together, right? I mean, none of us are that good. And we need to humble ourselves. And, and, and I'm just telling you, I, I mean, I don't have time to share this. Some of you know, a lot of you know our testimony. But you know, we, we went through an experience in our first year of marriage where God taught us what forgiveness is and, and, and how you do that and that kind of thing. It wasn't in the context of marriage. It was in the context of another situation. But I am so thankful, as hard as that was, that we learned that. Because there is something about living life together year in and year out with nothing between you. Doesn't mean we don't have problems. Doesn't mean we don't make mistakes or say stupid things. But if you fix it, and particularly if you fix it that day, there is just a peace and a joy and a freedom in living life together with nothing between you. It's the best way in the world to live. So if we're living out the gospel, we forgive because we've been forgiven. Second, we love because we're loved, meaning by God, instead of to get love or because our spouse is lovable. Now, there's going to be a specific message in the series just about love, so we'll develop this more then. But uh, how much of our love is really unconditional like the love of Jesus? He loved himself and he gave himself for us. That, that's the goal. I mean, if we're honest, how, how much of our, quote, love is quid pro quo? You do this, I'll do that. I'll do this to hopefully get that. If you love me the right way, if you treat me the right way, I'll love you the right way, I'll treat you the right way. That's certainly not 
Christ-like love. I don't know if it could even be defined as love at all because real love is always other-centered. That is ultimately self-centered. And how many times have I been guilty of that in my life? But here's what I'm saying. I'm saying if we really want to love somebody in an unconditional, Christ-like way, the way it can happen is through the love of Christ that's in us because we're trusting in Him flowing out through us. That's real love. That, that's love that's there when life is hard. That's love that's there when your spouse has hurt you or disappointed you. That's love that's there when because of circumstances your spouse doesn't have much to give to you. That's real love. That's gospel love. That's gospel marriage. That's the real thing. Ephesians 3.17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of love. If, if we believe that, if we claim that, if we say that's true, what excuse do we have if we're in Christ for not loving our spouse? Now, I know we're human, but at least to strive for it. Here, here's an analogy. Think about a fire hydrant. Okay. Now, this little, this, these are like weird devices to me. But I mean, it's just like this. Then a fire comes, fireman, fireman comes along, hooks up a hose to it, and there's this massive gush of water that's coming out of it. I mean, why, why can that work that way? Because that little hydrant is connected to a humongous reservoir of water. And here's my point. Whatever's going on in marriage, there may be a fire going on, but we are connected to the reservoir, the, the inexhaustible reservoir of the love of God. And if we're in Christ and we'll trust Him and seek Him and we'll press into Him and walk in the Holy Spirit, His love can well up in us and come out through us like that fire hose to, to our spouse even when we don't feel it, even maybe when we're hurting, even maybe when we're struggling. That's how we love unconditionally. It's the love of Christ in us. Three, we sacrifice instead of being selfish. Rick Warren puts it this way. He says, nothing unmasks our innate self-centeredness, self-centered sinfulness as a long-term marriage. Many would rather divorce than admit it and change. I could summarize 35 years of pastoral marriage counseling in two words. Grow up. Selfishness is the root. So how do we root out selfishness in our lives? Well, J.D. Greer defines sacrifices this way. How do we sacrifice instead of being selfish? He says sacrifice is giving up something we love for something we love more. Well, so what's gospel sacrifice? It's giving up things we love, things that aren't even necessarily bad things because we love Jesus more. What's marriage sacrifice? It's day in and day out giving up things, maybe some of it's bad stuff, maybe some of it's even good stuff, stuff we love because we love our spouse more. We sacrifice instead of being selfish. And once again, you know, this goes against our human nature. This is a gospel thing. This is a Jesus, Holy Spirit transforming us thing. But think about it. If two people are pursuing sacrifice for each other instead of selfishness for themselves, how can the byproduct of that not be a great marriage? But it takes Christ in us to bring that about. And then last, last one because I'm running out of time. We pursue holiness instead of happiness. 
You know, this text talks about Jesus sacrificing himself for us, but then it talks about you know, presenting a, you know, a glorious church, a, a church without spot or wrinkle. And once again, since the analogy is marriage and the church, you know, the union there, that would mean that the, his desire for our marriage is holiness. Now, what do we talk about? We talk about happiness. Anything wrong with happiness? No. Is God against us being happy? I don't think so, although there's some cases, uh, maybe, if our happiness is found in the wrong things. Here's the point. Holiness is the goal. Happiness is the byproduct. When happiness is the goal, then holiness can get left aside, and you end up being neither holy nor happy if you're a Christian. Rick Warren, once again, puts it this way. He says, the purpose of marriage is to make you holy, not happy. Marriage is a byproduct in and of itself. Remember Romans 8, 29, God's ultimate purpose for us is to make us like Christ. That's what he's doing in marriage. I'm not sure that there's anything more sanctifying than a long-term marriage because usually we marry the opposite. You know, our sinfulness, our insecurities, our selfishness, all of that comes into play. And God is using this marriage relationship as a crucible to transform and refine us more and more into the image of Christ. But what do we tend to do? We tend to run away from that and say, this isn't making me happy. And so I need to go find something else. When God says, my intent in all this is to make you holy. It's to make you like Jesus. So uh, let me give you two statements about this. This means that in Christ, I pursue holiness instead of what I want. And, and I'm talking about in, in the context of, uh, of marriage. But, you know, I, you know when, when our spouse says something we don't like, I mean... And are they, you know, doesn't it feel so good sometimes, at least for three seconds, especially if you're a man, to just say something back? You know, that, that good comeback. That's what I want. But pursuing holiness means I shut up. It means putting my spouse first. It means forgiving and repenting. It means trying to do what's best for my spouse, serving my spouse. It means, you know, spending time with God and letting God work in me to make me who he wants me to be. And I mean, there's all kinds of things holiness means. I'm talking about in the context of marriage. That's, that's the first level. You know, letting Jesus do a work within me so I can be more of who my spouse needs me to be. But here's the second level. It goes deeper than that. It means as a Christian couple, we pursue holiness instead of what we want. And that's what I was talking about earlier, the decision we made about pursuing the will of God. So this means, this may mean sometimes giving instead of spending for something we want. It means giving Jesus our first and our best. It may mean serving people instead of ourselves. It may mean coming to our families, coming to worship. This is just what we do. We give God our first and the best of our week on just about every Sunday morning instead of going and doing something else that we may want uh, to do. It, may, it means we're going to follow Scripture in, in our home. We're going to live under the Lordship of Christ. We're going to seek God's will. How we spend our time, what we consume, is going to be directed uh, by Jesus and not just what we want. Our ultimate goal is going to be the glory of God. It means the focus of our parenting is going to ultimately be raising well-rounded disciples of Jesus Christ and not making them into just a little athlete or the, uh, you know, the G 
genius, the savant, or whatever that we want them to be that we never uh, arrived at. Pursuing holiness means choosing what God wants instead of what I want and choosing what God wants instead of what we want. So, marriage is designed to be a reflection of the gospel. So, to a watching world, do ours look like a Rolls Royce or some old beater? And what do we need to do to change that, to grow that? I mean, some of you, do you need to forgive because you've been forgiven? Do you need to love because you're loved? Do you need to repent of selfishness and start sacrificing? Do you need to pursue holiness instead of what you want? So, let me just ask you some questions to close. What does your marriage say about your spiritual status? Because I promise you it says a whole lot more than your church attendance does or what we say we believe and all those kind of things do. What's your marriage or your dating relationship even say about your spiritual status? Is Jesus at the center of your life? Is Jesus at the center of your marriage? And if you can't say yes to those questions, what do you need to do to change that? Are you actually a Christian? And, and, and does, what does how you're uh, conducting yourself in your marriage say about what you really believe about the gospel because our actions speak a whole lot more than our words because faith without works is dead. Are you filled with the Spirit? You know, we've talked about this in Ephesians. We talked about this in, in, in the first marriage series. The reality is we can't be sanctified. We can't be, be who God wants us to be. We can't live this out apart from the power of the Holy Spirit because that's how Jesus is working in us. We can't do it on our own. So, is your marriage displaying the glory of God or obscuring it? Is your marriage displaying the gospel of Jesus Christ or is it obscuring it? Let's bow our heads and, and close our eyes.